The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Uh, well, hey, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, uh, my name is Gabe. Uh, blessed to be the, uh, the pastor here at this church and uh, grateful to be with you all today. Um, so, first of all, before I even get going, if I can just say, I know Barrett thanked folks that, that put all our Christmas decorations together. Honestly, the majority of the responsibility falls on, on one woman. So if we can say thanks to, to Carrie Carrie. Carrie, would you wave real quick and just honor her for, for her work? I think, like, seriously, did you put in, like, 15, 20 hours last week in here? Yeah. So that was more than I worked, so that's good. Um, see how the sermon goes. Uh, so uh, anyway, so, so today uh, we're starting a new series, and it's called uh, For the Love, and the reason we've spelled it with uh, the word for, doing a little play on the words there, is we're going to be exploring uh, the four words for love in the Greek language and, and walking through those. And so let me just uh, break them down real quick. We got them listed up here, but, but first of all, is storge is the, the Greek word. It really means like affection. It's got this idea of familial love. And then we're going to look at philia, which is, uh, you know, we get the idea of Philadelphia, brotherly love. And then eros, uh, which is uh, romantic love. You see we get the word erotic from there. Uh, and then agape is this idea of sort of steadfast love, covenant love, e- eternal love. And so, so we're going to be looking at that word as well. And so we'll be looking at those four Greek words for love and exploring them this Christmas. <clears throat> now realize, as soon as I say that, uh, someone says, Gabe, this is, this is Christmas, right? Like, this isn't Valentine's Day. Uh, so in the words of Tina Turner, what's love got to do with it, right? Well, uh, I got a video that I want us to watch that I think will hopefully help cue uh, up uh, why I think uh, love is, is really the perfect topic for us to discuss this Christmas season. Jesus makes complete sense to me. Why? <laughs> because this is my whole thing. I believe God is love. It's that simple and that complicated. And so if you tried to express love to human beings and just came down and said, I am love, love each other. We automatically, because we're so afraid of hard things, we would automatically go to like unicorns and rainbows. And so you would have to send someone to show what love in the flesh looks like. You would have to send what does love look like. And so otherwise we would romanticize it. We would turn it, we would, we would make it easy because that's who we are as people. We're going to make it easy. And so then Jesus comes and says, okay, I, I am love. I sit with the people you're not allowed to talk to. I do all the hard things. I make all the hard choices. I love the people that are unlovable. I feed the people who are not supposed to be taken care of. Um, I don't tolerate shame. I don't tolerate attacks. Like I'm love and it's hard and messy and dirty. And if you really love, I mean fierce, big love, you'll become dangerous to people. And so there's no way that most of us could have understood what love was. 
without seeing what love looked like. So to me, it makes perfect sense. And so God is love and Jesus is what love looks like made flesh. And it's hard and it's not the default and it has nothing to do with rainbows and unicorns and fluffy stuffed animals. It's about choosing what's right over what's easy. And we don't want love to be that. So uh, what I love about this video uh, is what, what Dr. Brown says like right off the bat. She says, God is love. Scripture is really clear about that, right? But what Scripture is also clear about is that love is not God, which is an important distinction to make. God is love, but, but love is not God, meaning we, we can't define love however we want to and then demand that God fit into those parameters. Because if we do that, as Dr. Brown put it, she said, we, you know, our temptation is going to be to say, well, love is, is you know, puppy dogs and unicorns and, and rainbows. But the reality is God shows us in Jesus, he shows us at Christmas time that real love is much more difficult than that. It much, it's much harder than that. It's much messier than that. And so at Christmas time, we celebrate that God came down in the flesh, that love came down in the flesh as a little baby born in Bethlehem. And all the messiness that that entails. And that baby Jesus grew up and showed us what love looks like. And so today, we're going we're gonna to start this series off by looking at what I think is perhaps the messiest of all the loves. We're going to look at storge, uh, which is affection, which is, is familial love. Uh, my, my Greek lexicon, it, it defines storge as especially of that of parents towards children. Uh, but we could also see it as children towards parents. And really, any sort of love we have for a family fits into this, this idea of storge. And I say it's one of the messiest types of love, and, and here's why. Because it's the one type of love that you don't get to choose, right? Like, you don't get to pick. You don't get to pick your family. But you got to love them, right? Uh, here's what I mean. Uh, so Thanksgiving was great in a food sense. Amen, right? Great in a food sense. Terrible in a football sense, right? Terrible in a football sense. Uh, so, you know, even if, if you're a Dallas fan, wasn't good for you. UT fan, wasn't good for you. If you cheer for God's team, the Green Bay Packers, it was terrible for you, right? So, so it, was, it was awful. And so uh, my beloved Packers lost, and so I called. Um, my dad was, was visiting my brother in Denver, and so I called my brother and, uh, and my dad up. And the three of us were commiserating on Friday over, over the Packers' loss. And so sort of to to cover over the, the deep shame we felt of losing to the Bears. I said to my, my dad and brother, I said, hey, you know what, though, guys? Hey, at least we got to watch the game with family. And my brother, without missing a beat, goes, I would have traded it. I would have traded it. Said, I would have rather watched the game alone and won than been with the family. It's like, you know, sorry, bro, it doesn't work that way, right? You can pick your friends. You can pick your spouse, you can pick what sports team you want to love, but you can't pick your family. You don't get to choose that. Which means to love them, to love your family well, you've really got to work at it. You've really got to work at it. Because your family inherently has people in it that are not easy to love. 
inherently, right? That's the nature of it. It happens. But alas, we're given them by God. We're called to love them. And so it's in that act of loving them that we actually grow to love them. Uh, in his great book, uh, the, the Four Loves, C.S. Lewis talks about this. That's uh, part of what this series is based off of. Let me just uh, share a quote he says about this. In my experience, it is affection that creates this taste, teaching us first to notice, then to endure, then to smile at, then to enjoy, and finally to appreciate the people who happen to be there. Made for us? Thank God, no. They are themselves odder than you could have believed and worth far more than we guessed. Now, I love this quote because it gets at both. It gets at both the challenge and the joy of storge love, of familial love, of affection. It gets at the challenge and the joy of both. Uh, and I think we'd all agree that those are both aspects of what it is to love folks who are part of our family. And so what I want us to ask today is, is how do we love those that God has placed in our life well in hopes of the joy that we have uh, when, when, when we love them well? How do we do that? How do we love those people that God has placed in our life well? And fortunately, our text, I think, gives us a great outline for doing that. And so the first thing we're going to see in our text is it's going to say, in order to, to have storge well, to have familial love well, your foundation and your security have to be in the Lord. That's the first part. Foundation and security have to be in the Lord. Then you have to count the familiar as blessings. And then finally we see at the end of our text that we, we do all of that as we celebrate God's affection for us. All right? So to put that succinctly, uh, we live into affection well when we have the Lord as foundation and security when we see the familiar as blessings, and three, when we celebrate his affection for us. All right, so let's get going. Uh, the Lord is foundation and security. If you look with me at verses one to two in our text, it says this. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. All right, so, so Solomon, he's the son of David, he was the king of Israel, he's the guy who wrote this psalm, the text we just read. And he says here, unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. In other words, unless God, unless the Lord is the foundation of your household, unless he's the foundation of your family, unless he's what everything in your familial life is built on, it's built in vain. It's not going to last. It's the only foundation that can support familial love. Only the Lord. Now as soon as I say that, I'll realize our minds automatically jump to the exception of the rule, right? At least mine does. And so we say, well, hey, I got friends that don't know the Lord, and their families are awesome, right? I got friends that know the Lord, and their families are a mess, right? Fair enough. But let's give old Solomon the benefit of the doubt here, okay? Let's assume he knows what he's talking about. He's called the, the master builder in, in Scripture. He's the guy that built the temple. And so he's intentionally referring to the family as a foundation, as a, as a structure, and he says, as a building, he says, the best foundation you can have for it is the Lord. Now, why would that be? Why would the Lord be the best foundation you can have? Well, on the one hand, it sort of makes sense, right? Like, he's strong, he's everlasting, he's unchanging, he's immovable, he's eternal. Makes sense to have him as the foundation, but I think there's actually something more that Solomon's getting at. If you look with me at the, the second part of verse 1, 
says, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So in other words, unless the Lord's watching over your city, you've got no real protection. You've got no one really looking out for you. And then verse 2, he gets at what happens if you have no real protection, if you have no real security. He says that, that you don't sleep, that you're anxious, that, that you're insecure, that you're not living in peace. And so Solomon says, hey, build your family on the foundation of the Lord because in him you'll have security. In him you'll have peace. Build your family on the foundation of the Lord because he's the only one that cannot be shaken. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about what foundation your family is built on. Uh, I would argue before I wrote this message, I didn't think about it too much. And my guess is, though, most of us, if, if someone were to ask you, hey, what, what, what foundation is your, is your family built on? Like our gut reaction, just your automatic response, is probably not just going to be like, the Lord. Like I don't know that we just inherently do that. I think most of us, if we're asked, what's the foundation your family is built on? we'd probably say it's love for one another, right? That that's the foundation of our families, is, is storge, is, is love for one another. And that's fine. But what we see in our text is that if love for each other doesn't find its end in the Lord, doesn't find its source in the Lord, it's not enough. It's not going to work. It's going to fall apart. Here's what I mean. Uh, so the four loves in this book, C.S. Lewis tells a story uh, about a lady named Mrs. Fidget. And it's a, it's a fictional story, but he tells this story about a lady named Mrs. Fidget. And he, and he starts the story with this line. I just love it. He says, Mrs. Fidget died a few months ago. It is really astonishing how her family have brightened up. Right? <laughs> and then he, then, he, then he goes through and he describes how much happier each member of the family is now that she's dead. Right? So it's a real dark story. But, but, uh, but as the story goes on, he points out the irony of the situation in this family. See, the deal was, the, the reason they're happier now that she's dead wasn't because she didn't love them. That wasn't the issue. The reason they're happier now that she's dead is because, in her words, she lived for her family. In other words, she found all meaning. She found all purpose. She found all identity, all security in being a loving wife and a loving mother. And so she insisted on making hot meals for her family, even when they wanted cold ones. She insisted that they wore the clothes that she made for them, even though they didn't really want to. And, and C.S. Lewis tells this part about how the doctor said, hey, your daughter's fine, she's healthy, you should go let her ride horses, because that's what her daughter wanted to do. And Mrs. Fidget said, no, 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 I know her better than you do, Doc. I care about her more than you do. You couldn't possibly understand. She's far too delicate to do these things, and so prevented her from living uh, life the way that, that she could have. It talks about how Mrs. Fidget would stay up late at night, Wait until everyone came home because she just loved them so much, but they'd come home and they'd feel guilty that she had stayed up waiting for them. So here's the point of that story. Her whole foundation rested in her love of her family. And what that did was it exhausted her and it exhausted her family. Now, obviously, it's an extreme example, but do you not see that in your own family? Do you not see that temptation in yourself? And so Lewis writes, he says, we need something outside of familial love. We need something outside of storge as the basis for familial love, as the foundation. He says this, we need a much higher love, a love which desires the good of the object as such. From whatever source that good comes, must step in and help or tame the instinct before it can make the abdication. In other words, we need a foundation 
for affection besides affection. Otherwise, our aims at love are inherently self-serving. So let me just make this a little bit more personal. Uh, so so I'm, a, I'm a pastor's kid, and uh, I've often made the joke uh, that if you're a pastor's kid, you, you either end up in prison or in ministry. Uh, uh, sometimes prison ministry, but uh, at any rate, and, uh, and the, you know, the idea behind that joke is, is not necessarily literal, but the idea is generally as a pastor's kid, your response to the faith is extreme. You either like fully embrace it or you fully walk away from it. Uh, and that joke was always really funny to me before I had kids, uh, and now I have them, and so it's terrifying. And, um, but, but if I'm honest, I'm just going to be, be real with you all for a second. Uh, I, I kind of always thought, like, the, the PK kids that grow up and, like, walk away, I was always like, you know what the issue is, is dad wasn't consistent at home. That's been the problem, is dad preached one message up front, and then at home he lived a different one. And so in my mind, I said, all right, this is going to be my foundation. If I just live consistently, right, if I preach the same message up front that I'm living at home, then I'll be good to go. Then I'll be taken care of. Well, this last year, I was talking with uh, a friend of mine. Uh, he's a, a mentor of mine, actually, several years older than me, church planter, just incredible dude. His name's Joe, and uh, his daughter's grown now, and, uh, and she's just completely abandoned the faith, completely walked away from it. And it just, like, rocked my world as to how that works. I said, Joe, like, this is terrifying for me. Like I said, he's, he's a dude I know who's, like, got more integrity, follows Jesus better than anyone I know, and his daughter is just walking away from the faith. And I said, Joe, wh what do you do? How do you handle this? What are you going to do about it? And he said, Gabe, what can I do? He said, I love my daughter, but I just got to trust that God's going to bring her back. I can't force anything. He's in control. And I love what Joe does there. He says, Gabe, I can't control. I'm, I'm bringing it back to the true foundation. I'm bringing it back to the only thing that can su support and sustain this familial love. See, you can't love your children best if you need your love for them to validate your existence. You can't love your parents best if you need your love for them to prove your worth. You can't love your siblings best if you need your love for them to give you your identity. No, see, the foundation for true affection must first start with the Lord. You rest in Him. You find your hope in Him. It says in, in Psalm, uh, verse 3, it says, you, you, He gives to His beloved sleep. Only then, when He's your foundation, can you truly love your family. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. So, you have the Lord as your foundation, then you can move to point two, and you see the familiar as a blessing. Look with me at verses three and four. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, I'm sorry, a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. And so basically Solomon says here, hey, Children are a blessing from the Lord. Children are a blessing. That's why, by the way, uh, I used to say it a lot in our early days of church, but when babies make noise, when, when kids make noise in church, uh, like, we're cool with it. We celebrate it. And I'd always tell people, if you have a problem with it, you can go somewhere else. Uh, I was advised to stop telling people to leave our church. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but we celebrate it, man, because that's new life, because kids are a blessing from God. That's what he says. It's very clear here, and it's a simple enough point to remember, but it's actually an incredibly important point for us to be reminded of. 
Uh, here's why. See, this, this past Thanksgiving, this past Thursday, a tragedy happened in my home. Uh, I only ate one plate of Thanksgiving food. And here's why. So uh, that's my boy Titus there uh, between two of his cousins, and, uh, and he was just peopled out at this point, right? And he wanted to go to his mom, uh, which then, of course, led to my eight-month-old daughter, Lila, sitting on my lap for the entire meal, uh, which meant, which is fine, you know, that's great, but if the plate was within reaching distance of her little T-Rex arms, uh, it, it meant that she was going to grab handfuls of mashed potato and rub them into my pants. And, and so, so because of that, trying to maintain the sanity of my two young children, I could only scarf down one plate of Thanksgiving goodness. It was, it was a tragedy, right? But that's life with kids, right? And quite frankly, that's life with family, right? Regardless of what stage in life you're at, there are aspects of family that are just hard. There's aspects of life where storge, where affection for those God has placed in your life is exhausting. And so we need to remember what Solomon says to us here in verses 3 and 4. That at its core, family is a blessing from God. Warts and all, the familiar are a blessing. Which is why verse 4 it says, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children's of one youth. Now in the days that, that Solomon wrote this and, and in traditional cultures today, that's just very practically true. That like, you have more kids, you're going to be safer, you're going to have pe more people to take care of you when you're older. But there's also a spiritual application of that verse too. That when we recognize the familiar as a blessing, it actually serves to sanctify us. It serves to sanctify you, it serves to shape your character. It serves to shape you more and more into the person that God designed you to be. Right? Like, I'm more patient now because I have little kids, I have to be. And I've often found, and I'm sure you have too, that people who oftentimes have had rougher family upbringings generally tend to be more gracious people towards the world. My wife and I, Melissa, have had 14 people in our house for the last week. We love each other more than ever. <laughs> right? More than ever. See, the, the familiar is a blessing because it helps shape your character in ways you can't do on your own shapes your character in ways you can't do on your own. And so let's, let's pull all this together, all right? Let's pull the pieces together. So, so how does this all work? How does the Lord become the foundation of your familial love? How do, how do you view the familiar as a blessing? How does that all work? Let's, let's piece it together. This is how it works. It works when you're able to celebrate the affection that God has for you. This all works if you're able to celebrate the affection that God has for you. Look with me at verse 5. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gates. And so Solomon says here, he says, hey, you, you want to have strong affection, storge, familial love in the face of enemies, in the face of adversity? He says, fill your quiver. What does that mean? He says, have a big family. You want to have good familial love? Have a big family. And we say, well, what if I don't? Or how's that supposed to work? Maybe, I, maybe the, the ship is sailed. I don't get how that's supposed to work. Well, first of all, let's recognize Solomon's time is a very practical matter. Needed to have that. Kept you safe. But he's actually pointing us to something bigger here. He's pointing us to something beyond our earthly family. He says, fill your quiver, man. He says, have a big family. How do we do that? He says, recognize a family beyond your family. Recognize a family beyond your earthly family. 
You say, well, how would that work? Here's how it works. See, as Christians, we believe, I love this, I love this. We believe that at the center of the universe, that like at the core of everything, is a God of love. That at the absolute center of all things is a God who is in himself love. That the defining characteristic of this God is love. That he created out of love. That he rules out of love. That he forgives and he saves out of love. And here's why we believe that that's the central characteristic to God. Because God in himself is a perfectly loving relationship. That from eternity, Father has loved the Son. And the Son has served the Father and loved the Father. And that the Holy Spirit has proceeded from both the Father and the Son and serves them both. That from eternity, what we call the Trinity, has been in a perfect, loving relationship with one another. They've been the ideal family. And it's from them, it's from that, that all human loves are based. That our familial love is based. And so follow with me here. So when Jesus... The Son of God walked this earth. When Jesus walked this earth, people were constantly asking. They're saying, who's in with Jesus? How, how do I get in with him? How, how do I get to be a part of his family? Who's in? Who's out? Who's allowed to walk with him? Who's allowed to roll with him and the Father? How does that happen? Who's he going to bring near? And Jesus tells us in John 6, he says this. Listen to these words. I love them. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. That I should, should lose nothing of all that he has given me. But raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So how do you live in Astorga? How do you have the Lord as your foundation? How do you love your family well? You see that Jesus has brought you into his family. He's brought you into his family from eternity. See, so often, man, I think we think of God's love in sort of these big, grandiose terms, uh, which is fine, we should. But oftentimes I think that makes it really abstract for us. It's, it's hard for us to grab a hold of it. But, but do you see what Jesus says here? He says, the Father has given you to me. He says, I'm never going to let you go. He says, you look on me, you get eternal life. He uses these words that are not big, abstract ideas, but they're personal. They're familial. They're affection. His love isn't just some big abstract idea, but it's storge, it's affection for you that through his death and resurrection, Jesus has brought you in to his perfect family. He's brought you in to the love of the Trinity. And you see, like, if you get a glimpse of that, like if a bit of that just captures your heart, do you see how much that shapes you to love those God has placed in your life? It just does. It's amazing. And it's worth celebrating. So uh, several years ago, I had the opportunity to, to go to India. And, uh, and while I was there, I was, I was there on behalf of a, an orphanage. 
organization based in Michigan and they, they run these orphanages in India and I went there and, and did some work with them and I, I remember showing up to this, this orphanage and, and meeting this little girl and, uh, and her and I were talking and, and she shared with me her story and uh, she, through tears, uh, shared with me how about 10 years ago now, uh, in 2004 when that massive tsunami hit southern India, uh, she lost both her parents. And so now she's, she's in this orphanage and she's telling me about it. And in tears, she's telling me about how she said goodbye to her parents and, and that she missed them terribly. But then she said this. She said, because of Jesus, I now have a heavenly father. I now know who my God is. And she said, because of Jesus, I get to live with all my brothers and sisters now. And then she looked at me and she's like, and now I know that you're here. I've got aunties and uncles all over the world. That's a girl with a full quiver. That's a girl with a lot of affection. Where does that come from? It comes from her recognizing and celebrating that she's been brought into the family of all families. That she's been brought into the love of God from eternity. And that that's happened through her Savior, Jesus. And so friends, my prayer for you is that you'd see that in Jesus, God looks on you with affection. And that's worth celebrating. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for this day. I give you thanks for the, the friends gathered here, for the family we got to see this week. Lord, teach us to love our families well. Teach us to have storge for the people you've placed in our lives. Help us to have you as the foundation, to have you as the basis. May we find our rest and our security in you, that we wouldn't be anxious about our families, but we just celebrate them because we know that you've brought us into your ultimate family. Teach us to rest in that truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.